This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. It's important to establish a culture of winning, the importance of winning, and doing things the right way. So for us, it's just to keep building upon that. Welcome in, Finns fans, to another episode of Fin It to Win It, brought to you, as always, by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and Bet Online. My name's Riley Bradshaw, alongside Mason Englehart. We hope everybody is staying safe and well during these troubling times, but we are here to talk some Miami Dolphins football. And Mason, I am glad, first of all, that you are safe and well, but I'm not going to lie, I'm a little disappointed because earlier today, Mason texted me that he was going to the dentist and he said, Riley, I'm a little worried that <laughs> my mouth is going to be numb for this episode. And I thought in my mind, oh, what a fantastic bit if Mason had to do this entire episode with half of his mouth numb. But it seems that you're doing just fine after your dentist appointment. So I'm a little a little bummed by that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Riley, for your sake, my mouth is is pretty much all better. So you know, I'm glad you really care about my well being. But um, had, well, had I got that out of the of way the... first. I got that out of the way first. I said I'm true, glad you're true, safe and well. True, but true. it would have been you know it would have been a great bit. Well, had to get a little bit of dental work done, but I, I made it out okay, and I'm excited to be here to break down some tight ends. Yeah, very excited to talk about the tight end group here today. And as I look through the tight end group, Mason, there's a lot of cool, intriguing storylines that we're going to get into in this episode. But first, before we get into that, I want to mention something that we're doing on our social media accounts, at Finit to Win It on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a huge giveaway for our fans. Mason, why don't you tell the people a little bit more about what we're doing? So we're going to kind of keep it a little secretive right now, but we're going to give the fans and the listeners a little bit more information on our next episode, which is going to be dropping tomorrow, actually. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's going to be dropping on Thursday. But next week, all the details will be out there. We're going to try to do a lot of giveaways here on Finit to Win It, and it's going to be super easy to enter these giveaways. All you have to do is go to our Facebook or our Twitter page or both of them, and you have to like, subscribe, follow, anything to become involved with Fin It to Win It's posts. And then Riley and I, or Riley or I, we'll see who it is. We're going to pick a random fan out for these giveaways. Now, this first giveaway, Riley, 
is going to be a good one. It's going to be, I'm not going to say our best giveaway, but it's definitely going to be one that every Dolphin fan is going to want to win. It's for sure going to be our best one yet. I will go out on a limb and say that, Mason. It's going to be our best giveaway yet in the history of this young show at Finit to Win It. <laughs> wow, you really, you really went on a limb with that one. Yeah, at Finit to Win It on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you check us out next week. Starting Monday, we're going to be doing a fan giveaway. And like we've mentioned in previous shows that we've done, we want to get the fans involved in the show, whether it's through giveaways fan feedback, get the fans possibly on the show. Who knows? We're going to be trying different ways to get you, the Dolphins fans, involved. So look out on our social media accounts starting on Monday at Finit to Win It. But tonight we're talking Dolphins tight ends. Mason, I want to start out with three words that I thought about, and then we'll get into the specific guys on the roster. But when I look at this group, here's three words that come to mind, and I want to get your feedback. Promising, specialists, depth. What do you think? I think that fits fits the scenario pretty well. Promising is one that definitely came to mind because you know it's it's interesting about this. Riley does not share these three words with me. This is a surprise to me as well. So I'm always kind of intrigued. Where is he going to go with these words? But but promising is a good one. We talked about our breakout players on a previous episode, and we were both in agreement that Mike Asiki really fit that mold to continue his growth from the way the season ended last year and to continue to break out. Uh, Actually, we actually had a poll about that, Riley, Mm -hmm. on social media where we compared Rainey McMichael's uh, season where he had, what was it, 791 yards. So 791 yards, and would Mike Kosicki break that next season I love the optimism from Dolphin fans. I, I'm, I'm, you know, that that's something that we do like to see. There's a lot of optimism going around in the Dolphins camp for all of our fans that interact with the show, and the percentage of fans that really feel like Mike Kosicki can break this record that Randy McMichael's held for some time now in Miami, it was very high. And I think that's where that word promising goes towards. You know, the future looks bright for this position. And let's be honest, this position has been pretty dry for a while and it has not been consistent. So promising is definitely a word that comes to mind when I think about this tight end group. And it's so young, Mason. There's five guys on the roster right now, all under the age of 27. So it's a young group. So a lot of potential there with these players. But it is funny. You mentioned Gesicki. He would have to be on that pace he was towards the end of last year and a little bit more to break Randy McMichael's 791 mark that he set back in 2004. But you take a look at the word specialist as well. And what I mean by that is, and you'll kind of see that as we go through these tight ends, but we don't have a tight end on the roster that really does a little bit of everything. Like we know, and we're going to talk more about it tonight, Gesicki's strengths and weaknesses. Obviously he's with his upside, one of the more promising receiving tight ends in the league, but he's not much of a blocking tight end. Then you go to Durham Smythe, the exact opposite. So when we go through this list, there's not that guy on the roster that can be on the field and you don't know if he's going to stay on the line and block or if he's going to be going out on a route. So specialist is the other word in depth. And I mean depth by lack of depth. So we have five guys they are all young, but if Gesicki goes down, who's going to fill that role? And we're going to talk about that tonight. So we're going to break these guys down one by one. But first, let's go through a quick read from Bet Online. Mason, there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back. And Bet Online has hundreds of games 
events, and sports to get in on. Why don't you tell the people a little bit more? Yeah, Riley, there's a ton of things going on on Bet Online. Just because there's no live sports going on doesn't mean you can't bet. You can still bet on all those simulated leagues on Bet Online. I'm talking about NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate, listen to this, Riley, in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge. How much do you think it would cost, Riley, to participate in a $10,000 grand prize challenge? $1 million. You're a little bit off, but only by a million there. That's right. It's absolutely free. It's going to be a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament, and you can enter it for free and enter it to win $10,000. You cannot beat that deal on Bet Online. Also going on and live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you can find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss that ever-popular Michael Jordan documentary that ran on ESPN, but they're calling it The Final Dance. So go check out that on their YouTube channel. It'll be really interesting to hear all the ex-Chicago Bulls talk about their seasons playing with those championship teams. So visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, and you're going to receive a welcome bonus where you can check out all the action on Bet Online, your online wagering solution. So we've talked a lot about Mike Gesicki on this show already. We he have. Was one of we have he was one of our breakout candidates in a previous episode. We've talked about the numbers, but we're going to go a little deeper in into Gesicki here tonight. Mason, in the final nine weeks of the year, Gesicki really turned a corner. He had 36 receptions, 417 yards, five touchdowns. But that was with Chad O'Shea. So let's go ahead and kick it off. Everyone's been talking about it. How is Chan Gailey going to utilize his tight ends? Because it's been well-documented on many different websites, many different blogs. And on this show, Chan Gailey is not known for using his tight ends. His last tight end that had over 1,000 yards in a season was Hall of Famer Tony Gonzalez. Since then, there's not a lot there. Not a lot of production from the receiving game out of his tight ends. Mike Gesicki, though is probably, other than Tony Gonzalez, obviously, the most talented tight end in terms of receiving that Chan Gailey has had at least in the last 10 to 15 years. So how is he going to be utilized in this offense? So can he continue to build on that momentum from last season, or is he going to kind of take a step back in those numbers that we saw in his first year and a half in the NFL? I think he can certainly build on the way last season ended. And you're right, with... Chan Gailey, as the offensive coordinator, there is going to be a little of an adjustment period. It's not going to be the same thing as the year ended last year. But one thing we talked about on the show when we talked about our wide receivers was durability. And there's a lot of durability concerns. And I feel like that's going to be a continued trend next year. I'm not saying there's going to be injuries left and right. But what I'm saying is the talent of Mike Isicki is there. And he is going to have to step up at times. We know Preston Williams is coming off another tough injury. Will he be healthy by week one? We don't know that yet. So I feel like Mike Isicki is going to be in a great opportunity to not be your standard tight end hand on the ground, but they're going to move him around more. I feel like he's going to continue his success receiving the ball, but the area I'm going to look for Mike Isicki to really improve on and continue to, to show growth is red zone targets and goal line targets. That is where tight ends bread and butter should be, especially a big physical receiving tight end like Isicki. I'm excited to see if he can improve on his five touchdowns from last year. 
And the tight end position, Riley, we know this. It's It's been a area of need for the Dolphins, especially receiving tight end. We'd have to go all the way back to 2013, which, I mean, doesn't seem too long ago, but, you know, it's, it's almost seven years ago, to when a tight end had five or more touchdowns. So Gesicki did it last year, but before that, Charles Clay in 2013 did it. So Dolphins aren't known for their tight ends getting a lot of touchdowns. That's one of the big things I'm looking for to see how Gesicki can improve his game. Yeah, the Dolphins really just don't have a rich history when it comes to the tight end position. I mean, you talked about it. The poll we put out on social media, Randy McMichael back in 2004, the bar is set at 791 yards. And me personally, I think it's gonna. I don't know if Gesicki's gonna if, if he's gonna hit that bar because you mentioned Preston Williams. So, are these stats that we saw from Gesicki were they elevated because Preston Williams was no longer in the lineup? We saw it from Devontae Parker and we saw it from Mike Gesicki. So, if Preston Williams comes back healthy along with Albert Wilson, is that gonna cut down on the target share with Gesicki? But I will say this, and this is kind of a hot take. I don't know if Mike Gesicki is going to break that 791-yard mark, but I could see Mike Gesicki, if he's utilized in the red zone like you mentioned, he could be, he was on pace for nine touchdowns last year going by that pace in that last six-game stretch. I could see him potentially getting double-digit touchdowns for this Dolphins team this year. Now, that's a stretch. It's a hot take. It's a hot take, Mason. But you did say it was a hot take. I agree with you, though, as far as the yards and touchdowns are concerned. There's going to be a lot of mouths to feed. If they're healthy mouths to feed in Miami, there's going to be a lot of room for the ball to go around. Now, in a way, that's going to help Mike Asicki because the defenses are going to have to worry about other players. They're going to have to worry about Albert Wilson. They're going to have to worry about Jakeem Grant, those fast players going over the middle of the field. So there are going to be some opportunities that Mike Kosicki is going to have, but I'm on board with you as far as the touchdowns go. I'm not going to say I'm on board for the double digits, but I do feel like seven, eight touchdowns is definitely doable for him. And remember the dolphins improving their running game. It's going to help the receivers out as well because the defense cannot just stack the box. They're going to have to play honest in different positions in the field. So I like Mike Asiki's opportunities in the red zone and goal line for touchdowns. I just don't see him getting over 790 yards, getting close to a thousand yards. We talked about that when we discussed him being a breakout player. I don't quite see the yardage is there, but I do see the opportunities in the red zone. Because he showed what he can do in the red zone, in the middle of the field. He is that tight end that is a nightmare matchup for linebackers, safeties, and slot cornerbacks. He is the guy that if your quarterback has trust in you, can throw it into those contested areas, and he has the athleticism to come down with it. And the way that the Dolphins finally were utilizing him and putting him in the right spots last year is another big contributor. So in his rookie year, you saw him with his hand in the dirt quite a lot. And I think we know at this point, that's just not his strength. He is not a blocking tight end. He's not as effective going into his routes, coming off of the line of scrimmage. You got to get him out in the slot. You got to get him out wide. So last year, according to Pro Football Focus, he took 461 snaps in the slot. Mason, that was the third most among tight ends in the NFL last year. So if you continue that trend, use him as an offensive weapon. Don't think of him as he's a tight end. You got to use him like he's a tight end. Use him like he's an athlete, an offensive weapon. Put him in the slot. 
put them out wide, create those matchup opportunities where he can utilize, right? His athleticism, where he can go against slower linebackers, smaller cornerbacks, and utilize his athleticism to make plays, especially over the middle of the field in the red zone. Took the words right out of my mouth, Riley. When you take a tight end of that size and you put him in open space, it automatically gives him advantage to beat the linebackers, like you said, that might be slower, or especially if they're going to line up a DB against him near the goal line or the, the end zone, throw him up that ball and let him just snatch it out of the air. It gets me really excited. Many things get me excited about the Dolphins or football in general. But one thing that really gets me excited is when you take a player of that size and height and you line him up out there and you see him out there, you just got to start to lick your lips and say, okay, here we go, baby. So I'm really hoping the Dolphins utilize that strength and how Gesicki finished the, the season last year to their advantage. Yeah, and that last six-game stretch, he was a top 10 tight end in the entire league. He had 89 targets eighth most among tight ends. So you saw him get more involved in the passing game. But like you said, how are they going to utilize him? How is the workload going to be you know, split between all of these different weapons once you get guys back and healthy? Devontae Parker, we saw his stats elevated. We saw Gesicki's stats elevated when Albert Wilson was banged up, when Preston Williams went down. So if those guys come back healthy, how is the share going to be distributed between all of these weapons on the outside for the Miami Dolphins. I will say this, Mason, one more point from me. He didn't have a single drop last season. A single That's drop. He, He's reliable. That's building, point, point to make. <laughs> yeah, building that trust with his quarterback. You saw it last year with Ryan Fitzpatrick. How many contested catches did this guy make in the seam? And that's because Ryan Fitzpatrick knew if I just throw it in the vicinity, he's going to come down with it. He's not going to drop it. He's not going to cause me a turnover. He's a guy that I can trust to either come down with it or at least knock it away for an incompletion. So whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua, if you have that trust between quarterback and your receiver or tight end in this case, where you know I can put it in these tight windows and I'm not going to get screwed by my wide receiver or my tight end dropping the ball or you know deflecting off their hands and creating a turnover, I have assurance that at the very least it's going to be incomplete pass, but more, <laughs> more likely it's going to be a reception. That's what Mike Gesicki brings to the table and that threat through the middle of the field that the Dolphins really, you know, they really lacked until he turned that corner because we know Devontae Parker, big play threat. Preston Williams, athletic freak, both on the outside, but over the middle, that's where Gesicki makes his money. One way to continue success from the end of last year is to build in consistency. And with Ryan Fitzpatrick coming back, that is a huge step into building in that consistency. We don't necessarily know what the line's going to look like. There's going to be a lot of training camp battles for that. But the guy throwing the ball in week one, we believe is going to be Fitzpatrick. Unless Tua just looks super healthy and something crazy happened, we believe Fitzpatrick is going to be the starting quarterback. So a lot of people, they look at the end of last year and say, well, can Gesicki continue that? We know there's a new offensive coordinator, yada, yada, yada. I think he can for a huge reason with Fitzpatrick being that quarterback. Like you mentioned, they build that they build that trust. They have that respect for each other. That's going to continue with these guys like Gesicki and Devontae Parker, those Dolphins that played such a key role in how last season ended. I'm really excited to see what Mike Gesicki can do and how he can continue from a receiver standpoint. Now, the other side of the coin, and I say that literally because – the other tight end that the Dolphins primarily used was essentially like 
um, a bizarro Mike Gesicki, kind of making a Superman reference. He is somebody in Durham Smythe who played 44% of the offensive snaps. So he had a big role in that Dolphins offense, but he essentially did the opposite of what Mike Gesicki did. And that means he was primarily a blocking tight end, but a solid one though, Riley. Yeah, 484 offensive snaps, Mason. He took 375 from the line of scrimmage. So you're seeing that complete 180 from Gesicki. Durham Smythe just brings a completely different skill set to the table. They were drafted in the same year. Smythe goes in the fourth round out of Notre Dame. So if you look at PFF ratings from last year, Smythe was the 60th tight end out of 72 overall. But if you look a little further, he was the 24th ranked run blocking tight end. So we see a trend. We see how he's utilized by the Miami Dolphins. He is that prototypical hand in the dirt tight end that's going to come in on blocking plays. And this is where I go back to specialist. It's very easy to identify what Gesicki is when he's in the game. Same thing goes for Durham Smythe. When he's in, you know he's not much of a receiving threat, so you don't have that guy that can come in and be that threat in the blocking game as well as the receiving game. Smythe is going to come in and be a reliable blocker on the outside, but even at times, you know, he struggled a little bit when it came to the passing game. He needed some help when it came to his tackles, double-teaming rush ends, but he did improve on it um, throughout the season. PFF graded him 70 or more, in nine out of 16 games in his final six games in a row. So he became a serviceable pass blocking tight end, especially as the year went on. Yeah. And I believe he didn't even allow a hit on his quarterback all season. And we know how much (laughs) the Dolphins quarterbacks were on the ground last year. So Durham Smythe did a solid job as the year can progress. Like a lot of Dolphins did, especially in pass protection, I wish, Riley, we could somehow take these two tight ends and just combine them together. I, I know, obviously, it's impossible, but if we could combine Mike Isicki and Durham Smythe together, I, I'd arguably say we'd have a top five tight end easily in the league, but unfortunately, that's the way the cookie crumbles. But it is going to be interesting to see what Smythe can do as far as being any type of a receiving threat. I don't see it happening, but at the same time, beggars can't be choosers. I'm happy that the Dolphins do have someone who can come in in a more blocking scenario for the Dolphins, and he can fill that role for them. So I'm looking forward to both these guys, hopefully in training camp, taking that next step where what they really struggle with, they can improve on that more because we're both in agreement that Mike Isicki is not going to be the hand in the dirt type of tight end. But what if he could get to that level? What if his pass blocking, and I know that's a big if, but if his pass blocking can get better, it would be even more of a threat. Yeah, but this goes back to how do you utilize him, right? Like Chan Gailey, sure. he doesn't utilize the tight end effectively in his pass stops, but he is known as an offensive coordinator to kind of mold his scheme around his personnel rather than make his personnel fit into his scheme. So if you look at Gesicki, like, hey, in the receiving game, he is my second option as a receiver, not just as a tight end. Durham Smythe the same way. Don't try to make him a receiving tight end because he's not. He wasn't even that at Notre Dame. In four years, Mason, Smythe um, only had 381 career receiving yards. Six touchdowns, and four of those came his junior year. He had 244 receiving yards his senior year. So over an entire career span at Notre Dame, he never really showed that he was that that capable, that reliable receiving threat from the tight end position. 
Utilize him for what he's good at. Utilize him for what he's known for. And don't try to get cute with it. Yeah, I guess, you know, <laughs> and, and I say that kind of in a somber way, just because you want to see different players progress in what they're struggling to do. But I, I, I do agree with you, Riley. We're not going to see Jerem Smythe as a receiving tight end, and we're not going to see Mike Gesicki as a blocking tight end. But you know what? One can dream, Riley. One can dream. So let's go ahead and move on to Michael Roberts. Michael Roberts is an interesting player here because he brings some upside. He brings some depth to this team, but he also brings a lot of question marks. So he's a fourth round pick out of Toledo. He was brought in by the Detroit Lions. He played a few years there. He was primarily used as a blocking tight end. He was utilized in the passing game a little bit, kind of like a Durham Smythe. To me, they're very similar players, but he's traded to New England, but falls through because he fails his physical. He signs with Green Bay, falls through because he fails his physical, sits out the entire 2019 year, and now he's hopefully back on the field for the Miami Dolphins this year. But you kind of look at your top two spots. You got Gesicki, you got Smythe. I think those are pretty much a lock at this point. So depending on how many tight ends the team decides to keep, are you keeping three or four? And where does Michael Roberts fit in that scenario? I think it really, for him, it depends a lot on health. It does, but you want that depth there, Riley. And I, I feel like Michael Roberts will be a serviceable backup. He had, um, I believe, five starts over two seasons, 23 games, and he did get three touchdowns as well. So we know he can find the end zone. His average per catch was around 11-2, so that's solid as well. So I see him as a serviceable tight end, and I feel like the Dolphins do need to at least keep three. Not to say there's health issues with our young tight ends and Gesicki and Smythe, but you do need to keep those backups for serving different purposes on the field or if, you know, God forbid, one of our starting tight ends gets hurt. Yeah, it's funny. He had three touchdown catches in 2018. Mason, two of those were against the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> in South in Florida, Miami. So, so yep. maybe that's a good omen now that he's going to have a home in Miami and play for the Dolphins. Maybe that means... <laughs> His production's going to elevate during home games, so we'll see. I don't know. It could happen, right? Wishful thinking. I like it, though. All right, so let's move on. These last two guys have very intriguing stories. So let's start with Chris Merrick. He was undrafted last year. He came out from Temple, was a walk-on at Temple, Mason. I don't know if you've seen the video, but he's one of those feel-good stories. Came on as a walk-on. In 2017, he was named the walk-on player of the year for the Temple Owls. And they gave him a scholarship. It was on YouTube. You know, one of those great feel-good stories. So then he signs with the Dolphins as an undrafted rookie, plays in the preseason, and is brought on to the practice squad. So he was on the Dolphins practice squad last year. He's one of those guys where you kind of don't know where he fits. It'll be interesting to see what he took from the practice squad and how he kind of utilizes that during training camp. But he does have some experience with this team. And now that they've brought on you know, through the collective bargaining agreement, they've gone from 10 spots to 12 spots when it comes to the practice squad. It makes his chances a little bit better of if he doesn't make the final roster of at least reclaiming that practice squad spot that he had last year. But Chris Merrick is an interesting candidate to make this roster as an undrafted free agent from last year. I love feel good stories, Riley. I really do. I think they're awesome. I think he'll be somebody who's going to have to show a lot in training camp to make this team most likely going to be a practice squad player if they keep him around. But at the same time, it's cool to see these stories develop, especially guys who don't go that traditional route. Here's a cool story. Bryce Sturk. 
you may have heard of Bryce Sterk if you're a fan of FCS football. Because at Montana State, Bryce Sterk, no, he was not one of the best tight ends in the country. He was one of the best defensive ends in the country. His senior year, Bryce Sterk, Mason, finished the year tied for the lead in the FCS with 15 sacks. So this guy was a stud on the defensive side of the ball. Now, here's the really cool thing. He played tight end for like a minute in high school. He didn't even play that much tight end in high school, but for some reason, the Dolphins see something in him from the tight end spot. He had had conversations with other teams. He had an interest from other teams um, going into the draft process. The Miami Dolphins hit him up like a week before the draft and like, hey, would you be open to playing tight end if we brought you into Miami? He said, yeah, sure, I'm up for whatever. He goes undrafted. The Miami Dolphins are the first team to contact him. Now, he had other offers on the table from other teams to play defensive end, his natural position, but he chose to go to the Miami Dolphins and play the tight end position. So a really cool situation, really cool scenario. This guy who obviously in terms of production, was a beast, even at the FCS level at Montana State. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how he can kind of, you know, transitioning from a a defensive end to a tight end when you go from college to the NFL, that's quite the transition to make. It is, and we see this transition from time to time with certain players. First one I thought of, Riley, was Ryan Tannehill. Someone who primarily played wide receiver and then made that transition to quarterback in college, and obviously it's followed him to the NFL. Some other ones I think of, too, are Julian Edelman. People forget, but Edelman was a quarterback, and he switched to wide receiver, kick returner. You think of Richard Sherman in college. He played wide receiver. He moved to defensive back. So it just shows you that sometimes athletes, they do have to switch. They do have to adapt to make the best decision for their future in the NFL. It's not unheard of. It's interesting to see how different skill positions. I think of J.J. Watt. He's another one, too. He was originally a tight end, and he switched to defensive end. So, hey, listen, maybe we can kind of have the reverse uh, J.J. Watt effect. Yeah, he's got that prototypical tight end size. He's 6'4", 262. So he has that size, the athletic ability to be able to play the position at the NFL level. He's a little small for a defensive end standpoint. But he's, he seems like one of those Brian Flores type of guys, right? A guy that'll be, I just want to play football, coach. Put me wherever you want, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you everything I got and be versatile. We've talked a lot in previous episodes how Brian Flores looks for guys that can contribute in many ways to this football team. And I think that's going to give Sterk a leg up when it comes to training camp when you're going up against guys like Merrick, who we know is a tight end. He's a feel-good story, but Sterk... He's an undrafted rookie. He's versatile. He has athletic ability. We've seen the production from the defensive side of the ball. So if he can kind of get a grasp of at the NFL level from the tight end position, he could be a candidate to make that practice squad that I mentioned went from 10 spots to 12 spots. So that gives him a little more wiggle room to try to make this team as an undrafted rookie. And he can also use his knowledge of playing the other side of the ball to his advantage, you know, kind of like behind enemy lines. Like he, he kind of knows what to expect. He knows different things that defensive players do. So definitely using that to his advantage could help him as well. That says a lot too, though, Mason, right? About what Brian Flores and Chris Greer are doing in South Florida, that this guy had offers to play his natural position, the position that he was very successful at, right? 
at Montana State, but he decided to go with the team that is saying, yeah, you can play tight end for us. <laughs> I mean, I think that says a lot about what they're doing in South Florida for the Miami Dolphins, right? It does. And what word have we been using? I know we've 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 had a lot of common themes or words throughout the podcast we've put out, but one word we've used a lot, Riley, is that V word, versatility. Yep. This Brian Flores Greer, they want guys who can not only do different things, but they want him to be able to play different positions too. Not to say he'll go back and forth between defense and offense, but they like that in players. They like the players who are versatile. So yeah, a lot of youth on this team. Like I mentioned at the beginning, everybody on this roster at the tight end position is under 27 years old. So there's a lot of promise, but there's a lot of question marks in terms of the depth on this team. Because I, Mason, I don't see if if Gasecki goes down, I don't see really anyone on this roster filling that void in terms of what you bring into the receiving game. I think Smythe, I think Michael Roberts, those guys kind of bring you a similar skill set when it comes to the run block, the pass blocking aspect of, of the game. But if Gesicki goes down, that's going to be a huge loss for this tight end group, a guy that I don't think is going to be replaceable. So that's why I'm a little bit worried when it comes to the depth of this group. It is, and that's why you at least keep three or four tight ends around because if that unthinkable happens with Gesicki getting injured, and I don't even think we should be talking about it, but let's just finish, let's wrap this up. But if the unthinkable happens and Mike Gesicki does get injured or has to miss some time, it's one of the few positions on this team that the Dolphins don't have someone who can step in and do something similar as Mike Gesicki. So we really need to hope that he stays healthier. The Dolphins are going to have to go out and get a free agent veteran that a team hasn't signed or possibly even make an in-season trade if they value that receiving tight end position. Yeah, well, at that point, if that does happen, God forbid, we'll just say, eh, Chan Gailey doesn't utilize his tight ends anyway, so it's not that big of a loss, right? (laughs) All right, circle it back. Promising, specialists, depth. That's what I look at when I look at this tight end position. I'm very excited about a lot of these feel-good stories. You know, when you watch preseason, when you watch training camp, you always love these kind of stories like Sterk, like Merrick, those kind of guys that, you know, they're undrafted. They come from lower-level college football. They're walk-ons in their college, and, and they're just trying to keep their career going and just play football. So I'm going to be rooting for those guys hard to make this roster or at least stick around on the practice squad. But let us know, Dolphins fans, what do you think of the tight end position? Do you think Gesicki can top 10 touchdowns this year? Can he make it to double digits? Are you confident in Smythe or Roberts shoring up the blocking at the end of the lines if they bring in that inline tight end? Let us know at Finit to Win It on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you think of the tight end position going into 2020 for Mason. I'm Riley. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Fin It to Win It. Fins up, everybody.